Spring is here, and as of April 1st, the CFB Winning Edge 2022 FBS team profiles are available for all of our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. Our FBS team profiles include 131 team pages, each with 85 or more individual player ratings, position and unit rankings, depth charts, transfer updates, injury reports, full season and single game projections, and much, much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to join as a Tier 2 member to access our roster strength ratings, head coach rankings, on-field team performance, and recruiting strength history for all 131 FBS programs. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping to fund our 2022 FBS team profiles and other projects coming soon. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFP Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, on the Twitter machine. And today, up on the show, we're going to be talking uh, a little uh, news, a little spring game report, some transfer portal, and uh, some Big Ten East win totals. And then we have defensive roster strength changes from this last season to this season. We have the NFL draft coming up uh, tomorrow as we're recording this today as you're listening to it. So all kinds of great stuff going on. Nick, are you keeping your head on a swivel? Are you keeping above water? How is uh, how is the early season, not off season, the early season treating you? <laughs> early preseason right early pre-season. uh so so yeah it's uh toward the end of the month because the way i've kind of staggered uh some of these big projects recently it gets a little more hectic toward the end because i i give these deadlines that i want to make sure when we have a new project uh that's available to our patrons and and on may 1st that'll be our full returning production database so uh working some late hours right now to to try to make sure we're able to keep that on schedule but uh the end is in sight i'm excited about that i'll be happy one to have it off my plate also happy to have it out there because uh you know i I think it's something fairly unique that uh it's it's a lot of work there's a lot to it and part of the reason that you know to my knowledge we're pretty much the only uh you know outlet out there that that gives every, you know, statistical mark, what have you, all the returning production, break it down uh, basically by each category. Um, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a big thing to put together. And so uh, it, it's coming toward the end. My brain is, is a little bit fried, but I'm excited because, like I said, the, the end is uh, within sight and definitely an exciting time of the year looking forward to, to watching the draft uh and i'm also excited that these spring games are finally almost done uh yeah. so that i can catch up a little bit uh slow down the pace and and uh digest a lot of them a, a little bit better um as we look ahead to you know the the more traditional uh preseason because it's you know it, it's not far uh it's away. really and not I'll be trying to change it uh from say an early preseason to just you know, plain old preseason. preseason. Yeah. 
just the preseason. Xavier, uh, how's your weekend? You're going to be traveling during the NFL draft, uh, at least the first round. So uh, we won't see you. A lot of a lot of uh, ITL people disappointed that you won't be on the round one uh, call this year. Everyone was excited to see. You. I said, I'm going to try to suck him into to Friday or Saturday. We'll see. But I know he's traveling. He's out of town. I don't know if he's going to be able to make it. Uh, but I am putting peer pressure on you right now. But it's uh, cool. It's cool. I, I, yeah. How how has your week been? And uh, I mean, you got to be uh, stoked for the draft tomorrow. Oh, absolutely! I am ecstatic. Obviously, the Falcons have the eighth pick, so I'm obviously hype about that. I'm just excited about the first round in general. Uh, this is going to be a great draft, in my opinion, and it could be a very weird one depending on a few teams. It's definitely uh, be a weird one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as far as my weekend is concerned, I spent most of it just like having spring games on silent in the background while I study for final exams. But uh, yeah, so I caught actually this is probably the weekend I watched the most amount of spring games at one time. I was watching like I watched West Virginia's. I watched everybody's. I, I genuinely think I, I got through everybody that's on our pod. I was on our list last week, uh, maybe outside of one or two teams. But I think for the most part, I got through like 90 percent of what was on wow. our list going into last year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, I've been watching a lot of baseball and uh, getting ready for the NFL draft, you know, over fantasy pros and all that good stuff. So uh, just just a lot of uh, grinding on that. Uh, so I watched the Texas spring game, but I haven't watched uh, any of the other ones from this weekend yet. Uh, maybe I'll get to them a little bit later, but let's dive into this news. And Nick, this popped up on my timeline and I thought maybe it was a typo or maybe someone had uh, said something incorrect or whatever. But it seems like Baylor has already announced their starting quarterback, and it's not going to be Bohannon. It's going to be Shapin, which is it's very interesting. Uh, Bohannon did uh, an all right job last season. Obviously, um, Baylor, very, very solid year last year. They won the Big 12, right? So um, very, very good. Uh, but they're going a different direction uh, at the quarterback position and announced it very early. I think that was the surprising thing. It's not it's not so surprising that any college team would switch a quarterback before the season started, but to announce it in April, I feel like is a little bit unnecessary. So interesting move here, right? Yeah, it, it was a, it seems like a very deliberate thing that uh, head coach Dave Aranda did. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about quarterback competitions and, and sometimes, you know, put competition in air quotes, some of the ones that we've been uh, discussing. And, and we've talked plenty over the last month or so as spring practices have been going on that a lot of these teams, there's really no rush to, you know, name a full-time starter. Um, you know, at Baylor, you have an incumbent starter on the roster. I mean, Gary Bohannon, uh, Jerry Bohannon, Gary Bohannon. It's with a G, but it's looks like Jerry. I forget. Uh, I think it's Jerry, but, <laughs> okay. but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, you know, he started 12 games last year and looked really, really good in the uh, first few weeks of the year. I, I was you know, really impressed early on and he got a little banged up. He got, uh, you know, had a little regression um, through the middle part. And then, and then toward the end of the season, he wasn't uh, available very much. And, and, you know, Shapin came in, was impressive, helped lead Baylor to the big 12 championship, as you mentioned. But um, yeah, it, this of, of a lot of the competitions that we discussed um, and, you know, not every incumbent starter obviously has a, a stranglehold on that job. They, it, it can be taken away from them. 
But this was one of those that it would be very, very easy for that coaching staff to say, yeah, you know, we're going to let this thing play out over the summer, player-led practices, all that, into the fall. Um, it wouldn't have, you know, surprised anybody if, if this was uh, one of the QB competitions that went up right until right before the game kicks off week one. Uh, they say, oh, and we just got news that Blake Shapin's going to be, you know, out there with, uh, uh, with the starters. But instead, it sounds like Aranda and, and his coaching staff, uh, one, they knew. We talked a little last week that sometimes you just know, coaches might just know that, you know, Shapin's just moved ahead, become the better uh, player. Maybe the locker room knew, maybe for whatever reason. Um, it had just, you know, become clear that uh, things were moving in this direction. And Aranda's a little bit different. And he's he's got, uh, I, I, you know, PR is not quite the right term, but this is also uh, in some ways a, a kind of a smart PR move by Aranda to say, hey, look, you know, we're looking out for the the best thing possible for our players. And it became I'm putting words in Dave Aranda's mouth here, but, you know, thinking that it became clear to the team, to the coaching staff uh, that Shapin was going to be the guy. And because there's this May 1st deadline coming up where uh, you need to be in the transfer portal by May 1st to be eligible for the fall and winter seasons. Now, there's a little bit of ambiguity there if, you know, maybe you can still get a waiver if it's afterward and but whatever. They, they seem to be making kind of a big deal about this uh, deadline this year. So maybe waivers aren't going to be quite as readily uh, accessible as, as in years past. But, you know gave Bohannon an opportunity to transfer. He entered the transfer portal, uh, you know, a handful of hours after the news broke. And now he's going to have time to uh, see if there's a better opportunity out there. Uh, maybe he can get a starting job somewhere. I know there've already been some rumors. There've already been some connections to other places that he could possibly end up. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's been interesting to watch because, you know, I follow a few Baylor team sites and obviously some interaction between those and, and fans and other you know reporters who uh, keep an eye on on Baylor. And it's a it's a little bit of a tricky situation because it seems like uh, the fans really, you know, are, are very, very appreciative of Bohannon. Obviously, he's, he's uh, still had room to grow as a quarterback, but showed a lot of leadership last year. I mean, I've seen a bunch of, you know, pictures and photos of Shapin and Bohannon, you know, hugging each other after winning the Big 12 title and, and all that. So uh, I think it's a little bit bittersweet because, you know, he did play a big role in helping Baylor be one of the, you know, biggest turnarounds that we've seen in in recent years from a, a pretty poor 2020 season to Big 12 champions. And and then, you know, to be the, the starting quarterback, his name is going to be in bold as the starter in 2021 because he started 12 games but obviously it or, or it seems that it was obvious that uh he had lost his grip on that job that shaping was better and and uh it was a really interesting move that baylor decided to make this announcement because a lot of uh, you know, I mean, we'll talk about usc had their spring game right nobody's saying caleb williams is the starter even though uh, just about everybody 
uh, who pays any attention would would bet their house that he will be. Um, but you know, this situation at Baylor, it's it's just uh, you know, it's another interesting thing that Dave Miranda does. He's a little bit different. I like him. Uh, he, he you know didn't necessarily have to do this, but it seems like he did right by. Uh, Gary Bohannon to say, you know, we want to give you enough time. If there's a better opportunity out there, we appreciate what you did uh, for us here last year. But Blake Shapin's going to be our starter in 2022. And maybe, you know, uh, that perfect opportunity isn't out there. Bohannon, you know, decides to come back. That that wouldn't shock me either. And uh, obviously Baylor needed two quarterbacks last year to win the Big 12. They might need to again in, in 2022. So we'll see what happens. But at least – you know, Bohannon does have a little bit of time to uh, see if there's some interest on his behalf, go out and, and potentially find another opportunity and, and maybe have enough time to win a job uh, by fall. So be interesting to see how it all shakes out. What do you, what do you think of this move about announcing Shapin as a starter here? Xavier, are you with Nick? It it's, it's, could be a smart move, and it also gives Bohannon, a, you know, time to go and yeah. look for a different job, which I think is very nice. Uh, you know, it's, it is a nice thing to do for him to not string him along. So what do you think? I think it's a nice move for everybody involved. You know, I think first and foremost with Bohannon, obviously now he has an opportunity to put his name in the portal if that's what he wants to do. Um, and he can go move on to quote unquote greener pastures if he, if, if he so chooses, or he is a senior at this point. So he might just like Baylor. He might just want to stay and, and, you know, be okay with the rest of his career being played out at Baylor, um, you know, especially if he feels like maybe, you know, the NFL isn't his future or, or rather is okay with that kind of situation. Uh, for Sh- uh, for Shapin, I think this is a perfect move for the university. The, the, the quarterback battle was really, really close. The difference is Shapin is a sophomore, you know, and, and having that ability to kind of name a guy who you understand is going to be your quarterback, not only this year, but could be your quarterback for the next two years, you know, maximum is also a really good idea to do from a coaching standpoint, because at this point, if Bohannon, if the, 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 the uh, excuse me, if the quarterback, you know, battle was really, really close, to be perfectly honest with you, I may just go with the younger guy because he's going to be here longer. Like just understanding from a coaching perspective and understanding that, Hey, you're going to be the face of our university for the next two years, you know, at, at, you know, at the most, and at least for another year after this, you know, as well, you know, that for me is a little bit more of a, a advantageous for a coaching staff that understands that their quarterback play isn't going to have to change from year to year if Bohannon was named the guy. And if you do have Bohannon still on the staff, he's somebody who, you know, probably maybe, you know, might be one of the best backups in college football, understanding what he was able to do last year. And in the sense of shape, and he understands that, hey, or in the sense of, excuse me, Dave Aranda, he understands that I've got a guy behind him that I completely trust a thousand percent. And if it wasn't for injury, maybe would have been our starting quarterback going into the Big 12 championship anyways. So I like the move from them. I love a court. I love a coach doing that early on, because I think as you go throughout, not only now as you're done with spring, but, you know, as you move into summer and fall camp, he's going to train with the number ones. He's going to be, you know, working out with those guys and building camaraderie. And he started his, you know, momentum as he won the Big 12 championship. But now he can now get a full offseason. Now you expect an actual genuine progression because he's not splitting reps in practice. And a kid that, you know, for the most part, you know, played, what, I think three games down the stretch, that including the Big 12 championship game, is going to need that kind of time to really get, you know, that camaraderie with his guys and make more more importantly make that leap and make that kind of progression to keep you guys closer to the top of the big 12 coming into this season with him being a sophomore and things of that nature 
Yeah, uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Baylor uh, plays this out. And I like the uh, connection that you have on the sheet here, Nick, with, uh, you know, if Bohannon does want to transfer, Arizona State uh, is looking for a QB. And they've had Aaron Jones visit in the connection with the OC Glenn Thomas. Uh, very, very uh, you. I mean, that big old brain on you. Very nice. Can, can you? Can, I'll be honest. After watching a couple of the spring games this week, there's a lot of teams that can use a quarterback. But I, I'll be honest, <laughs> the first two that come to mind: Notre Dame, Auburn. Both of their spring games, quarterback play wise, was mm, yeah. so. Yeah. You know, you, you go you go out and get you a guy who's mobile, who can hit the ground running. As far as you know, now he's in the off season, um, and, and kind of what West Virginia did with JT Daniels, right? You pick up a guy late, you understand that your quarterback situation may not be the best, and now you've got a guy who's on the cusp of taking his team to a Big 12 championship right before injury, right? So he could be out there and be a hot commodity for teams who even added uh, transfer quarterbacks already, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, uh, that that those are interesting spots. I don't know. I feel like if you're if you're not starting at Baylor, you're probably not going to be starting at Notre Dame or Auburn. But uh, well, and and Tyler Buckner was out with an injury for Notre Dame, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Arizona State makes a certain amount of sense. Obviously, they lost their guy uh, Jaden Daniels, and there is the the coaching connection there. Uh, Bohannon, where where is Bohannon from? I got you. Uh, is he's is he? I mean, most everybody's he's from, from Texas, but yeah, okay. So I was thinking he was he was from an, uh, uh, you know next door somewhere. I thought Louisiana at first, but uh, being you know not, uh, being having spent the last few years in Texas, I mean there there are certainly plenty of options uh, there. One of the first places that popped in uh, my head was Louisiana. Um, you know, not, yeah. not too far, obviously, uh, but they lost Levi Lewis. They've got uh, a, a lot of uh, relatively unknown, unproven guys uh, competing for that job and, and bringing in somebody who's experienced like uh, Bohannon would be, um, you know, w- would perhaps help them solidify that spot on the depth chart and, and kind of, you know, help guard against any uh, real fall off uh from that team that's been so good and, and now as a first time first year head coach so um you know maybe maybe if he takes the Sun Belt route or uh you know Mountain West or, or something like that I could certainly see if Arizona State doesn't work out I saw a rumor earlier today that he was uh you know seriously injured uh, injured excuse, uh <laughs> seriously interested in Florida State um I don't know if that was just a rumor or or what, mm-hmm. but you know Jordan Travis is is uh, there, and and they've got uh, a little bit of depth there as well. He probably would, you know, step in and, and have a really really good shot at at starting at Arizona State. There are a few, you know, Power Five jobs um, where it's I guess as obvious maybe that he would just come in and be the starter, and I don't think Florida State is one of those. Because Jordan Travis is, uh, you know, he started 14 games and, and has been a pretty exciting player. Um, but there, there are probably some opportunities out there, and, and Louisiana was just one that that popped uh, in my mind, and, and I'm sure there are some other uh, Sun Belt fits potentially as well. Um, being from Arkansas, you know, you think Arkansas State, but they actually just took a, a transfer quarterback in AJ Meyer last week, who is from uh, Miami, Ohio kind of to, to come in and compete with or 
backup James Blackman. So not sure if that's an immediate fit, but um, I'm sure there are, he'll probably have some options. You know, I mean, Western Michigan is uh, bringing in a, or, or, you know, has uh, some young guys competing for that job, unproven guys. Um, so maybe, you know, there might be an opportunity in the Mac conference USA. Uh, I know a Baylor quarterback, Jacob Zeno is in the mix at, at UAB. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, Southern Miss could use a little more competition or uh, Middle Tennessee, maybe, uh, you know, these are just off the top of my head, Louisiana Tech, uh, having to, you know, they've already got a couple of transfers in and a, and a pretty uh, highly rated for them, true freshman in uh, Landry Liddy, but, you know, still that, that might be an opportunity. So I'm sure there are going to be, I'm sure he will have some suitors at first glance, group of five probably makes. Uh, the most sense if if playing time is his number one uh, goal, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll have some opportunities. Now, Nick, I, I want to make sure we 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 said this. Mm-hmm. You did not say that he entered the portal already, correct? He did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He did. So uh, mm-hmm. the uh, reports came out last night, Tuesday yeah. night, um, and and uh, earlier Wednesday morning. Yeah, he, okay. he did. Or at least was p- reported to be in. I don't know if he's officially in, but um, but I saw it was on, that was on 247. Yeah. Yeah. That was saying, hey, okay, cool. I was just making sure because I did make a point earlier saying that he could be a backup quarterback for Baylor. And I just wanted to make sure that that would only be if he were to return back to school and not obviously move, leave to go anywhere. I just right. wanted to, make, to put add that caveat. Yeah. And I would, I would have to assume that he'd be welcome back. I mean, not everybody has the yeah. option to. To come back, I'm sure once they enter. But this sounds like a situation where if he didn't get, you know, the call he was hoping to get, um, that he might return. But Baylor is a, and we don't have to get too far, you know, down this road. But there, it's an interesting move, of course, in you know the ways that we already discussed it. But now that Bohannon is is, you know, we take him off the roster, uh, assuming he won't come back. Their returning production numbers on offense are incredibly low. Um, with him no longer there, they return 21% of their passing yards, uh, 12% roughly of their rushing yards, 21% of their receiving yards, 16% of their total offense, total yardage, uh, fewer than 30% of their touchdowns, and their just total offensive production is now 37%. That's going to be one of the lowest in in college football and in at the FBS level. So Baylor, you know, on the one hand, you, you see this returning production number that, that is relatively top of mind for a lot of people, myself included, because I've been, you know, uh, just sort of churning away at, at those types of numbers uh, this month. And, and I'm looking forward to, to publishing them in the next week or so, but on the other hand, you think, well, they're losing this production, but they made a, a choice to go with a guy that they think is better. So, you know, Baylor thinks that they've improved, even though in this way that we, we look at um, is at least on the extremes an indicator of a team uh, either getting better or getting worse. And the numbers would indicate that Baylor is getting worse on offense. Um But this might be a situation where, you know, we have to dig a little deeper in in their returning production because, you know, obviously they made the choice that that they'd be better 
with the more, you know, less productive or at least the the player that doesn't have quite as much experience. So it's possible that our numbers, because Shapen isn't, you know, particularly highly rated, hasn't had a lot of production so far. Um, we might be underrating Baylor. I like Baylor. I think they're a good team. Obviously, they're a defending uh, conference champion. Aranda specifically is is one of my favorite coaches. Um, I think he does a lot of things that are right. But, you know, Baylor was already outside of our top 25 in our, our power rankings. And, and with this news, they, you know, didn't get – much worse the way we calculate it, but they, you know, didn't get better. And they certainly have less depth at the quarterback position now. So they're probably going to be, you know, outside the, the top 35, maybe closer to 40 uh, when we run our, our power ratings, update them again uh, next week. So it, it's, it's interesting because there are some folks who think that this Baylor team could still contend for the big 12 could make a push uh, for a playoff spot potentially, but a lot of the indicators that we use numbers wise, uh, think they're going to take a, a bit of a step back. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about Baylor. I, 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 my personal feelings, I think they are really, really well coached. And I think they're the type of team that probably gets a little bit more out of their players, uh, than recruiting ratings or, or things like that would indicate, but, the, the backbone of a lot of the, the work that we do, the, the numbers-based projections, uh, there are a lot of signs that don't really like Baylor. So that's going to be a little bit of a, a push and pull uh, on how we project them versus how we you know maybe feel about them. All right. So moving on here, we have um, some spring games that happen, including the Texas spring game. No big deal. But uh, Nick, you have your first line here is interesting. It is despite more than two dozen FBS teams playing their spring games or showcase or open practice or whatever it is that they did uh, over the weekend, there was relatively uh, minor news. So I, I'm I'm with you. I didn't see a whole bunch. I think this Baylor uh, QB situation was way bigger news than anything we had happen over the weekend. So um, explain what you mean by not a lot of major news. Well, I, I I just didn't feel like it, it seemed like the previous two or three weeks um, there was just more buzz. And maybe I was just a little more removed from it. I mean, Xavier might have a completely different opinion since he was uh, maybe playing, paying closer <laughs> attention all of them. during. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's just how I took in the information. But it just didn't seem like there were a whole lot of newsy bits coming out of it. I mean, I saw some highlights, saw uh, the um, Quinn Ewers to Isaiah Nair bomb at the Texas spring game, right? Saw plenty of that. Saw uh, a a few nice throws from Caleb Williams to Mario Williams at USC. Uh, I heard some negative uh, buzz about, or whatever the, the opposite of buzz is about Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. Um, you know, that was a, a QB competition that I kind of scoffed a little bit at that word competition because Jackson Dart was just so exciting yeah. in the uh, limited amount of time we saw from him at USC last year. Seems like a great fit in that offense, but you know, the numbers weren't good and, and, you know, he looked really shaky uh, at times, but other than that, um, there just wasn't a whole lot of 
you know, this guy just looks awesome. Uh, or, right. you know, that, that job is obviously sewn up now sort of thing. I mean, the, the LSU quarterback competition, I mean, it, it sounds like uh, Nussmeyer was the, the most impressive of the three um, between he and, and uh, Miles Brennan and Jake Daniels. But there was a quote that Brian Kelly had after uh, the spring game that, you know, said, oh, we didn't clear anything up that it probably made things more difficult. So there wasn't any, you know, news out of that as a premier or, uh, you know, headline type uh, position battle that was on display this weekend um, that things, you know, to, uh, not only didn't sort themselves out, but got even a little more muddled to the fact or, or to the point where it uh, seems like a lot of the chatter out there is that LSU we should expect at least two quarterbacks and and maybe all three get uh, some early playing time in in the the you know first few weeks of the season. I know a lot of people are interested in, in what's going on at Texas Tech because you know they've got that new offense brought in the Western Kentucky offense that rewrote the record book last year and and uh, they've got three guys at least competing for that spot, but didn't get any real indication that that's uh sorted itself out in any real concrete way so you know and even at texas i mean that that quinn ewers highlight was all over the place but saw some people were you know positive had some positive things to say about hudson card and ewers didn't look perfect by any stretch so i guess it's just you know not much really changed uh maybe the only name i kind of heard slightly unexpected uh news about and and it's interestingly it's from that uh wku offense but mitchell tinsley you know had a really really great year last year statistically and he wasn't the number one receiver uh you know jared stearns had had all those catches all those yards all those touchdowns but tinsley you know and i guess maybe he was impressive at times, but in my mind, it was kind of a you know product of the system type type thing because he really hadn't done a ton leading up to that, and and then they changed the offense, and and he emerges as a uh, really really productive number two receiver, and then he makes the jump to Penn State, and I thought, uh, okay, I mean, yeah, he he's good, but I don't necessarily expect he'll be the number one guy there. I don't necessarily expect he'll be a star. Uh, but you know, maybe the, the most positive, slightly unexpected thing that I heard was James Franklin was really talking up Mitchell Tinsley after the the spring game and he impressed, um, there at Penn state. So not a shock cause he obviously had a great, you know, year last year and, and they wanted him enough to, to bring him in. But uh, if that's the most surprising thing, you know, that, that, or you know, quote or headline that sort of grabbed me, uh, who admittedly, as I've said for, you know, more than a month now, haven't been paying attention in real time to all of these, have been kind of reading things secondhand and, and seeing things secondhand until I set aside some time to, to you know, dive into them in the summer. Um, but if that's the most surprising thing, then there really wasn't a ton of newsworthy bits, you know, at, at least to yeah. me. Yeah, just a couple highlights and stuff. I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I I'll tell you what I liked from the uh, the 
the Texas spring game is I like Quinn Ewers and his ability to throw the ball downfield. And, um, you know, that bomb to Nair was awesome. That, that got me super hyped. And I know it's just one highlight and I probably shouldn't be that excited, but you know, this is what you do. It's overreaction season, right? So this is how it happens. I also was very impressed with Rashawn Johnson. Now I, it's weird. I've watching always spring liked Rashawn Johnson. Yeah. You know, the, he, he looked outstanding, yeah, but it also makes me worry about Texas run defense. So uh, I yeah. was like, what is it? Is it Rashawn Johnson looks great or is it the, the run defense still garbage? So, but he was well, running that, away from those guys. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like they were missing a ton of tackles. He was just faster than everybody. Well, and that's ahead, one Nick. of the things that, you know, at the USC spring game, right? Cause some of the highlights I saw was like, Oh yeah. Wow. Caleb Williams looks really good. And then, you know, the next thing is, well, but so how bad is that USC? Defense? Yeah. And then, <laughs> right. you know, the the corners struggled, but they were also shorthanded at corner. Didn't have a lot, at least one projected starter there and, and had some other guys sitting out. And like every spring game, I mean, some guys are a, a little bit nicked up, so they're not going to play. Other guys are too important, so they're not going to play. Sometimes, you know, you don't know uh, if they're really going up uh, against, you know, the, the best right, competition right. on the other side. So uh-huh. it's, it's always things that we've talked about for weeks. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that what you said about how good is that Texas run defense kind of made me think of that too. And, and I could go off on that tangent, but I'll try to. Oh, that's that. something you can absolutely <laughs> talk yourself into circles about, right? Anybody could like, all right, well, this is great, but was it because our defense is bad or because uh-huh. they're actually good? So, uh, Mr. Uh, I got to watch every single spring game this weekend. What was it you saw out of these spring games that impressed you? The sad part about the USC spring game is that when you realize the defense actually started with 21 points and like they, and <laughs> they lost the game by like double digits. when you realize how potent that offense was moving. And I don't think the defense even had like another point after that. I think it was just like they were stagnant on 21 the entire day because Caleb Williams and especially Marvin Mims, he was going ridiculous out there. It was honestly their connection was really nice to watch, be perfectly honest with you. It seemed like they hadn't missed a beat since leaving Oklahoma whatsoever, so they looked really impressive. Um, LSU's run game looked really good. I will say uh, Brendan and Nussmeyer looked like the two guys who had been in the system the longest. Jaden Daniels just did not look on the races. Nussmeyer probably came away the best. He looked the best uh, out of everybody out there. Uh, Brendan had a few good throws, but Nussmeyer was just locked in the entire time. Uh, Bo Nix looked like Bo Nix. And, and if you watch the podcast, listen to the podcast, you know what I mean by that. He started <laughs> off the he started off the game with showed a, you a little good and a little bad. Yeah, yeah. He started off the game with a two play touchdown drive that featured like a sixty yard pass and then a, like a five yard you know little dump off for a touchdown, and then he threw a pick like two possessions later. It was like bonus baby. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see off the top of my head. Uh, yes, to, to Nick's credit, Jackson Dart looked rough. Uh, now, once again, I think that that's just a kid maybe pressing a little bit too much to look too, to look better in the spring game than maybe what he had to. Um, he was pressing a little bit, um, and, and that was probably his biggest issue. That's also what you saw from Jaden Daniels a lot. Like A lot of his throws were just complete overthrows, and when that's the case, it, it typically is a kid trying to aim, trying to be perfect, um, and it just was not, you know, it just wasn't coming off for him in that regard. Um think that's most of what I can pull away from and then the ones that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, but like I said, from and it, like when you watch a lot of the other spring games, they looked kind of how, like, like I said, Notre Dame's was actually pretty w- rough. 
but that's once again their quarterback situation is at flux right now and like you said tyler buckner wasn't there uh auburn's quarterback situation is going to be completely up in the air until fall like that is just going to be a situation that i don't think becomes rectified whatsoever um actually personally after watching the texas spring game i was like hudson carson should transfer I was like, it's okay. So uh, let me ask you this. Is it more because you were unimpressed with the other QBs playing or more because you were impressed with Hudson card? Impressed with Hudson card. We've seen, we saw him last year and you know, awful last year. Yeah. Like I, I, there's no sugar coating. He Mm -hmm. looked terrible. And that's what I was expecting. He got the start (laughs) and everything. And I was like, what are we doing? He is awful. He did look much better in the spring. So you're, you're right about that. He he made significant strides that at least for me went, okay, you can at least for at, at the very least, there should be buzz about what you have maybe going forward. I'm not saying you start, he's going to start over yours, but he has clearly made a progression right. from last year to this offseason. So that was a positive. Watching West Virginia's spring game honestly kind of felt like like you didn't have to because no JT Daniels. You were just like, okay. Like, we really <laughs> don't know what this offense is actually yeah. going to look like until, you know, you know. but you do get to look at the other quarterbacks. And if JT Daniels doesn't win the job, you'll see you as to why. But, like, in watching, all I could think of was JT Daniels can make that throw. Decision making is probably a little bit better there. Like it was like I was trying to prognosticate for a guy who wasn't on the field. I was like, well, well, you know, maybe JT's able to make that throw over the top a little bit easier than the kid who did it. So that was that. Uh, the only ones I didn't catch were Utah, um, which I I want to go back and watch that one. Um, and then I think that might have been it. Yeah. Oh, I even watched Washington State spring game. And that was okay. So I, I heard some good things about Washington State spring game, and, and mm-hmm. Cameron Ward apparently looked really good there mm-hmm. um <laughs> i one of the the tops on my list i think uh, when i when i sit down and watch them uh is probably oklahoma i've one i haven't heard maybe as much uh buzz about freshmen true freshmen this spring <laughs> as i did last spring perhaps uh but there were a couple of of names of note that that mm-hmm. uh came up you know when when oklahoma was uh, was playing in uh, running back Javante Barnes. Sound like he looked know, good. Did, did real well. Would like he to really uh, would like to get a closer look at him. Uh, Jaden Gibson, I believe, had a big play. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm a pretty big Dylan Gabriel fan. Uh, yeah. So I kind of want to see what he's looking like. Um, I know they've got a little bit. You know, they've mm-hmm. got some talented guys in that room behind him, and and. You know, true freshman Nick Evers is pretty highly rated, and, and it sounded like Micah Bowens is, uh, you know, did some good things maybe during the game. But um, Gabriel is is you know definitely the guy, and and there's a little bit of uh, maybe depth issue there. Him coming off an injury, I guess, you know, might make you a little bit nervous. But I'm excited to see, and it sounds like the people, you know, they're in Norman, and and there were. Uh, they might have won the spring game attendance they record for this year, but uh, <laughs> that yeah, they're 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 high on my list of a team that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, and and you know they're always a team that it uh, seems like we've paid a lot of attention to, much to Scott's chagrin the last few years <laughs> uh, because our numbers have been particularly high on Oklahoma, and, and it seems like we're going to be uh, you know continue to be high on them this year, so. Um, want to see if that's, you know, uh, if, if we're completely off base, uh, or if, oh, uh, there's some reason to be optimistic. I will so. say, I will say this. 
Dylan Gabriel, you, I talked about people pressing. He was one of them. Uh, he looked like a guy who was trying to prove that he belonged in the Big 12, that he belonged at Oklahoma. Uh, he threw some pretty ill-advised, he threw an ill-advised interception in the game. And I don't, once again, I don't know if he, that is due to him coming off of rehab and not being able to have uh, enough reps, but he just looked like, you know, and especially early in the game, a lot of his throws were high. And the one, the biggest thing that's from his, from the takeaway from him, he has yet to really learn how to put touch on the ball. I mean, he was throwing some absolute cannons at like five yards. They were like, the I biggest. hate that. No touch. It drives me his, crazy. His I like Dylan Gabriel too. I've seen yes, him play better. I think than he's that. Really, yeah. I think he's, yeah. he was pressing to, to prove that he belonged to Oklahoma because his first, like, out of his first like six or seven throws, two of them were like six yard throws that I genuinely think if they hit him in the face mask, they might walk away with a concussion. Like he threw those things <laughs> like he was trying to fit him into a window that was not even necessary. I was like, hey, listen, slow it down, add some touch, like give you give your receiver a chance. Like Drake Stoops was out there getting beamed. I was like, yo, hey, this this hey, remember who this this son is? You might not make it out of this town if you hurt this kid. Um, Barnes looks like. He reminds me a lot of Demarco Murray in build. He's uh he's one of your, your your more of your taller backs. He's about six foot six foot one, uh, but he's built really well. My only my only only thing with him is the only thing I didn't see was him like outrun the defense. But in between the tackles looks really good, um, and so he's gonna be a guy that for CFF should definitely be looked at as a as a guy who gets picked because uh, I think they're gonna use him a lot, especially as Gabriel learns the offense. And number one, and the other pieces, their outside receiving core right now is in flux. After losing Marvin Mims, they really don't have a guy or per se the guy out there. Uh, you know, they've lost a lot of guys. Oh, Mims is still there. Years. Oh, no, Mims is still there. No, I'm, who am I thinking of that went to USC? So they, they lost, uh, well, so so Williams, right? Uh, Mario Williams. Williams. There we go. Went there. That's what I meant to say uh, earlier. Yes. And then Jaden Hazelwood uh, went mm-hmm. to Arkansas. Yeah, um, and they also Hazelwood. lost, then they lost, okay. la- then last year they lost Charleston Rambo. So they've had some mm-hmm. flux in that receiving court. So. They, they, mm-hmm. there's some guys that they were definitely like. You could tell um, Dylan Gabriel was trying to find guys that not necessarily. There's a lot of dump offs. Let's just put it this way: he got to his back a lot. Um, if, if Drake Stoops was pretty much his guy in the spring game, though. Drake Stoops was like Wes Welker in the, in the way that he was <laughs> finding like five yards of open grass and just making something. I think you have to him. say Slade Bolton now. So don't you? I mean, come on. Let's yeah, just update man. the repertoires, Javier. That's all I'm saying. You know, Slade Slade Bolton. Hunter Renfro. Fine. By the way, okay, all right. You know what, Hunter Renfro better. By the way, I think the only team to interview Slade Bolton was the Patriots, which just of course makes so much. He's gonna sense. be a he's gonna be a six year special teamer, and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be perfect. I mean, uh, Steelers just signed Gunnar Olszewski, who was you know uh, a guy with the Patriots that that. A uh, slow white dude that can play special teams. That's exactly what he is. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, FBS programs to play their spring games uh, this weekend. It's Maryland, Minnesota, Washington, Cal, and Fresno State. Nick, what are you looking forward to uh, seeing from these teams? Um, so the uh, <laughs> the most interesting of this particular group, I think, is the new offensive Washington. Um, you know, that's a quarterback situation that, that we've touched on a little bit in the past seems to not be clear. Seems like at least two guys have a real shot at winning that job and, and a three could potentially be in the mix. Um, so what does the new offense look like? Does it, have they taken a big step forward? I think they, you know, 
that offense has to be better uh, in in 2022. But will it actually look like a dangerous offense? Um, so I think that's the you know biggest question. I I don't know if we're going to get a chance to see Muhammad Ibrahim at, at Minnesota. Um, I, I will admit I haven't paid a, a you know. Uh, it sounded like he had been cleared maybe to practice a few weeks ago, but hadn't heard a whole lot since. So uh, I, I would be surprised if we see him, but it, it, if we could, it would be nice to see if he's, you know, back to full speed. Um, Maryland is kind of a, you know, sneaky, interesting team because they've got a, a pretty deep and talented receiver core. Um uh, you know, uh, Talia Tungavailoa is is a definite you know, boomer bust uh, type player who can create some big plays, but has um, definitely been prone to mistakes. So it'd be kind of interesting to see does he really look in control of that offense? Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, not the most exciting group, I'll have to admit, but there are certainly some things that will be uh, that we could perhaps learn this week. And, and it being a relatively small set of teams, I might actually have a chance to uh, get my eyes on, you know, the, the goings on and pay a little bit more attention than I have the last couple of weeks when it's been, you know, everybody all at once. So uh, who knows? We'll, we'll see. I, I think of this group though, uh, probably most interested to, to see what Washington looks like, especially on offense. Yes. Especially what Michael Penix. That's yeah. what you want to see is, is Penix I mean, Washington. I mean, we could talk about the quarterback situation at at, at uh, Cal, whether whether they finally have a quarterback that's like good for more than just like four games. So like, I mean, hey, you know, you, you see them firsthand. So like, you know, hey, you tell me if Cal's quarterback situation is is intriguing to you, Scott. Um, <laughs> Hasn't been think, good since Aaron Rodgers left. So you know, you know, I think I think Maryland's a lot of people. A lot of people are going to watch Maryland's spring game because they may have a bettable number uh, coming into the year, uh, especially with a lot of – there's a lot of, like, random, like, under-the-radar hype about Talia uh, taking that, like, really big next step of being, like, the guy in the Big Ten or one of the guys, excuse me, in the Big Ten. So, like, there's there's definitely buzz in that regard. So, I think people watch this spring game because of that situation. Uh, but, yeah, I think between Washington and Maryland, that's pretty much all I would say. The one thing I wanted to say is – I forgot to bring it up when I was talking about your Oklahoma spring game. Did you see that Baker Mayfield statue? It was pretty rough, wasn't it? Like, it, like, like it didn't like look anything the, like him. I saw someone said it looks like uh, uh, Robert Patrick, uh, who was what T1000 or whatever uh, in the Terminator. Someone said it looked exactly like that, and I cannot unsee it. It looked like one of the characters from The Luck of the Irish. Like, it was bad. Like, it was not <laughs> great. Like, I was like, guys, we could have done better for baker he's yeah. going through a rough offseason please like this is the least he needs but yeah I, i'll just say this i'm here for it so uh, <laughs> i i like it so uh looks good Remind to me, me Nick, you know to get back to what we were talking about is ibrahim mm -hmm. muhammad ibrahim back for the muhammad ibrahim is back for this year correct he'll be back so i would yeah he'll be back so I, I heard yeah. PJ Fleck talking about him on uh, the PFS tailgate podcast. Okay, cool. So, so I'm, I'm excited to see what he looks like after that injury because that. Was I don't know if he'll play in the spring. Is game. he not going to play in the spring game? I, I don't know. That, that's I, a I, question. I haven't. Uh, I haven't heard confirmation. I, I think he just got cleared to practice. Uh, you know, during after they had opened 
the the you know spring practice session. So right. uh, I would be surprised. It would it would he seems great. like the perfect candidate to say, hey, we know what you can do. Let's yeah, uh, you know let let's sit back and watch and and uh, get ready for the fall. So uh, I I wouldn't expect to see him, but it would be nice if we could because yeah, I, I have that same question. Did you see uh, Dave Doran call Devin Leary one of the best quarterbacks in the country? What, Dave Doran's do doing some that? interesting things. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I think Leary's good. Um, and if he does what you want him to do, then, then you know, maybe he is the best fit uh, for, you know, your offense. But it, it's NC State is a really, really, you know, They've they are not on the mind of the casual college football fan. I think as a playoff contender, as an ACC title, uh, you know, really contender to the point of potentially favorite. They are they are going to be uh, they're going to get a lot of buzz. Uh, they're going to get a lot of smart people who are really excited about NC State, and I understand it. But I'm wondering if it's bordering on the, the point to where they're gaining a little too much right now. Kind of, you know, we talked about how they could potentially, uh, and Doran brought up North Carolina, you know, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, they could be set up in a similar situation to what North Carolina was last year, where they come in as a top 10 team and, and yeah, they could live up to it. But it also might be, you know, uh, a little too much. I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I did see that comment though. Yeah. I have one other thing uh, to ask you guys about, and this is uh, Xavier's fault for bringing us down the uh, statue uh, route here, which has led us down a, a different rabbit hole. But um, two things. Number one, uh, the thousand dollar bet uh, for Utah state to win it all. That has, why is this getting like, who cares? Why is this like people writing articles about it? And now we're getting like, Utah State buzz because one person put a thousand dollar bet. If that is not uh, hype, you know, or early preseason hype, if I've ever seen it, I mean these these guys got to be bored writing about this. That I mean that's just a dart <laughs> throw, right, Nick? There's nothing, there's nothing to be written there's about that nonsense, right? The the first thing I thought was somebody made a mistake and meant to bet on Utah. Utah, yeah, and me then too. I I saw the thing that like. After that first one, apparently there were like three or four total that came in. Oh, so Lordy. I, I mean, Utah State is a, a, a group of five a solid conference team. champion. Yeah. Uh, great offense uh, last year has has done some good work in the transfer portal, but I mean, we just saw our first G five um, playoff team and. You know, I, I, whew, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, All I right. guess, yeah, we, we don't, we don't have to talk too much about it. It, it seems it doesn't necessarily, it's not something I would do, let's say. Yeah. It, it's not something <laughs> I would do. Yeah. I mean, I think that is uh, easily said. The other thing I wanted to ask uh, Xavier about, because I think I sent this to you the other day. Uh, if not, I just sent it to you uh, if you haven't seen it. The UTSA uh, P chart where they had the color of your urine um, uh, matters. I, I, if it's uh, like 
darker than yellow. It's juiceless okay. and useless. Mm -hmm. Then you have ment uh, mental and physically weak. If it's too yellow, uh, selfish teammate, if it's kind of yellow. And then the more clear it is, you have integrity, uh, perfect effort slash selfless, and went 1-0 and won the day if it's clear. So okay. the UTSA P chart, what, what do you think, Xavier? Well, being from a team that did this, it's actually <laughs> You had a P funny. chart too? Yeah, actually in high school, we had a P chart. <laughs> yeah, we did. It said right in front of all the urinals in the locker room that were like, hey, guys. This is where this is color. Know, yeah. You, you know, you, yeah, like genuinely. And, you know, it's, it, it was actually really funny um, when people would cramp up during like spring practice and stuff. They'd be like, what was the color of your pizza? P chart. It was like, so before you came out here, yeah, you, Nick, you hydrated or not. And so Nick, I used to coach funny. too. Uh, interesting <laughs> to see if, is, is this something, is this a tactic that you've seen coaches use and have you seen this done? Well, I'll, I'll say it's not the first I've heard of it because the first I've heard of it was the Texas Tom Herman, like you are a bad guy, was mm -hmm. the juiceless and useless section, right? So yeah, I, I'm a little surprised yeah. you brought this up because, because yeah, that's a, that's a, I don't, this is a it, Texas thing. I think this is a Utah, uh, UTSA, uh, stealing know, from Tom Herman. And, and yeah, there's a little, I think there was some cross. Uh, there's some connections there. Cross pollination. I, you know, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I appreciate the wordplay. I will say that much. Like, Juiceless was, and useless. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah I was, okay. ours wasn't nearly that cool. Like it was just like you suck. Like it wasn't <laughs> yeah. nearly like it, it, it wasn't like so nice for a bunch of high school. They were like, "Wow, thanks. Like, this looks bad. This is uh, you. You should drink more water." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like hospital. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You know, for a bunch of guys who can't control how much water they drink in a day from a water fountain. Like it wasn't yeah. like. Wasn't nearly as nice, so I well, like. I mean, it. I, I remember uh, watching. Remember the Titans and hearing the waters for cowards, but okay, you know, there's uh, it, it's a different era right now. So don't you don't want to be juiceless and useless? We know that. So uh, let's talk about the transfer portal uh, a little bit here, and uh, we, you know, transfer portal is uh, a party every single week, and it was definitely a party this week. We had uh, Miami continue to remake their defense. Uh, since our last show, the Hurricanes have added West Virginia defensive lineman Akeem Mesidor, UCLA linebacker Caleb Johnson, and Maryland defensive lineman Daryl Jackson through the portal. Uh, former Louisville speedster, this is a guy I believe I read with 419 speed, Tyler Harrell has committed to Alabama. So uh, they got another speedy player, as if they don't have enough already. <clears throat> a pair of Arizona State players entered the portal last week, a starting wide receiver Ricky Parasol and rising star uh, pass rusher Eric Gentry, uh, who was seen at the USC spring game, have entered the transfer portal. Uh, two teams already with depth concerns on the defensive line, UCLA and Nebraska, lost projected starters to the transfer portal this week. Um, Uda Isidore and Casey Rogers uh, left the Bruins and the Huskers, respectively. And uh, that is very interesting. Defensive line is one of the most highly coveted positions in the transfer portal. Arkansas State defensive tackle Terry Hampton, who entered late last week, um, has reported several P5 op uh, offers. He was limited to entry last year. Henry, I'm going to try it here, Ch Chibuzier, a 340-pound defensive tackle who played over 300 snaps at Liberty last season, entered the portal on Wednesday and could be going to a P5 school. Several former Ohio State players are on the move. Uh, both defensive line lineman Jacoby Cohen and uh, defensive back Lejean Cavazos committed to North Carolina and defensive end slash tight end Carmonte Hamilton went home to Memphis. Uh, the Buckeyes continue to make over their secondary uh, with 
2021 starter uh, Bryson Shaw, Marcus Hooker, and Andre uh, Turrentine also entering the, the transfer portal. North Carolina running back Camario Edwards, a four-star prospect, entered the portal on Tuesday. Oklahoma's Cody Jackson, a similarly talented wide receiver prospect, also entered earlier this week. And shortly after we finished recording last week, two high-potential offensive playmakers uh, found new homes, A.G. Hall going to Texas and Baylor Cup going to Texas Tech. And I remember, um, you know, I'm excited about A.G. Hall for sure. But I remember Baylor Cup was the guy. He was like the five star. All the CFF people were super excited about him. Uh, you know, going to uh, Texas A and M. He broke his leg. I want to say like a week before the season, maybe two weeks before the season started, and that's when Jalen Weidermeyer took over and mm -hmm. just absolutely never looked back. So, uh, your thoughts on the transfer portal uh, getting very, very busy here, Nick, this week? So I'm I'm very curious to see what the Miami defense looks like. I mean, they've brought in a lot of guys and, and uh, they've got some talent. So um, they continue to be, uh, you know, mentioned when, when any relatively well-known or, or experienced defensive player enters the transfer portal. It, it seems like there's uh, been mutual interest in, in a lot of guys and they've landed, you know, obviously the three names that you mentioned, Mesidor was the one who, uh, you know, it, it when he entered the portal of West Virginia, it seemed like it came to, as a shock to the coaching staff. Uh, and so, you know, he's he's a starter. He's got a chance to be a starter at Miami and as a defensive lineman, as a, a big body. Uh, that's a coveted position. I'm curious to see where the guys leaving UCLA and Nebraska end up, but also what, what are those two teams going to do to try to replace not only – you know, those two players, but they are thin at that position, both of them. I mean, the, the depth chart in our FBS team profiles for both units uh, is really, really thin. So I would have to expect that both UCLA and Nebraska would be interested in guys like Hampton, like Chibuzi, uh, who you mentioned, and, and you know, any other uh, players who pop up, whether they're group of five players or, uh, you know, I know Texas lost a, uh, a backup defensive lineman. Uh, be interesting to see, you know, if, if there's some interest uh, there. So it, it's it's going to be a position where uh, some guys, you know, like in an Arkansas State or a Liberty might have an opportunity or, or try to push themselves up to the power five level. They're certainly going to be interest because it's it's definitely a thin position um it seems like you know for a lot of of uh power five programs so um i will be you know certainly keeping keeping an eye on that and then the the ohio state situation is interesting to me we're, we're talking you know defensive roster strength here in, in just a little bit and the next step what we're you know, probably next week, if not uh, the week after, we'll actually drill down a little bit on on some specific units that are relatively big question marks. So places where teams could have, um, you know, some some transfer portal needs, and one of those is for me the Ohio State secondary. And, you know, Shaw was a transfer, excuse me, was a starter, as you mentioned. Marcus Hooker has played, you know, quite a bit the last few years. They lost seven banks uh, earlier in, in the spring. So that's a position where as deep as Ohio State is everywhere else, to the point where guys who barely played uh, North Carolina is 
you know, snatching them up uh, as quickly as they can. The the secondary is a little bit of a little bit of a question mark for for Ohio State, and it seems like they've pushed a couple of guys out who had played a lot, and they haven't necessarily, um, at least on paper, uh, filled those potential holes quite yet. I mean, they they obviously brought in uh, Tanner McAllister, who played uh, at Oklahoma State, was a starter under the the you know new. Uh, Ohio State defensive coordinator, but they haven't brought in a whole lot of other guys. And, and certainly Ohio State recruits at a, an incredible level and, and the defensive backfield is one of the top five most talented uh, groups in the country as far as average, you know, 247 rating and rivals rating goes. But it's a, it's a, a unit in transition. So I'm curious to see where that all, you know, how that all plays out. Um because it that might be the one unit, you know, kind of my idea is we'll look at some units or, or particular uh, position groups that could be the thing that stands in the way of a national championship or a conference championship. And if I had to pick one for Ohio State right now, looks like the secondary. So uh, I'm wondering if they're going to be able to, to bring some guys in or if some of those, you know, just really highly rated uh, players who were freshmen last year and didn't play a whole lot, maybe, or or guys who are coming in as true freshmen this year, if they're just ready to, to step in. Because every once in a while, we do see that in, in a secondary. So I'm uh, curious to see what Ohio State's you know secondary looks like, especially with, now that they've got three guys that you mentioned go in this week and, and you know, others who, who had already left earlier uh, this spring. But um, other than that, yeah, the defensive line, I, I feel like is going to be a very, very busy position group, basically across college football. Um, that's, that's certainly going to be one where there, everybody could use more defensive linemen. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, like you said, a lot of guys moving at that position, Xavier, when you look at the transfer portal and all these moves that have made, uh, been made here this week, what sticks out to you? Yeah, no, Nick was Nick hit it right on the head. As far as Ohio State, they very much I, I guarantee you Ohio State fans feel a lot of the way Georgia fans kind of felt at the beginning of the year last year. Uh we had a very we had a secondary that for the most part was completely brand new outside of Lewis scene. Um, you know, we added in Darian Kendrick uh in the process, but we also had to rely on guys like Tyke Smith. Uh Keely Ringo was a was a guy who barely got any time in his freshman year, but had to come in right away and start for us and things of that nature. And, and it, you know, where as great as that defense is, and you can name all the people on that, you know, you know, you name the front four, you can name a lot of the guys in even at the linebacking core, that secondary is gonna have to come around. And, and you know, it's gonna be a situation where maybe they do dig into the into the portal, you know towards the, the the fall season or sometime in the summer, obviously, um, or you're going to have to really think like, okay, cool. We might just have to really protect this secondary, you know, and that's something that you even saw this year with Georgia, where it was like, Hey, that secondary against Alabama the first time got shredded. And, and, and even Kirby smart to his credit after that game was like, we're going to go basic. Like we're going to be very basic in the secondary uh, pretty much, you know, down the stretch there to make it a little bit easier on the guys and just allow the guys on the front, you know, the front seven to do their job. That very feels much what Ohio State may have to do this year to compensate for a younger secondary. That's going to take, you know, some time to get their footing. And even in that situation, it's going to take some time. They, they, I mean, to be honest, they have some really good situations to be practicing against, though. I mean, you're practicing against probably a top five pick in the quarterback, probably two or three guys in next year's draft who are two or three receivers who will go in next year's draft. So, I mean, at the very least, at least their secondary gets a chance to, you know, get their feet wet in practice. 
I mean, I will say that much. I mean, they're going to get, they get fried up and it's going to be from their own team instead of somebody else. Um, on top of that, I do love the Miami decisions. They need it bad, but you've seen Mario Cristobal already really dig into fixing the trenches um, and, and getting that defense better. Uh, you know, and what I love it for, from him as much as that as well is you can tell that he's being backed by the red, like this, he's being backed by the school. That's been a problem for Miami over the last couple of years. And you can tell that like, Every move Mario makes, and I follow some Miami guys on Twitter. The, the rest of the, the Miami Twitter is like, yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Like genuinely, I haven't seen Miami this excited for a coach and for a situation in a very – probably in my lifetime of watching college football, just be genuinely honest with you, because they feel like Mario's not only the guy, but they feel like he's finally the, – the organization or, they, excuse me, the, the university is backing him a 1,000%, and they feel like the moves he's being allowed to make and that he is making are just all pluses at this point. Um, and good, good good job, Texas. I, I think Baylor Cubs got a lot left in the tank. I, I'm actually more excited for him than I would be Hall, because to be perfectly honest with you, a great tight end, in my opinion, in college football is a lot more dangerous than a great receiver. Now, a great receiver, obviously, we, we know. But when you if you have a guy in the tight end, we, we've, been, we've seen, seen guys that weren't, quote, unquote, great as far as physically. You know, we've seen Greg Calcaterra tear up. The Big Twelve at one point, yeah. but Baylor Cup can give you anything like that from a tight from a tight end Trey, perspective. Trey McBride was a whole offense at Colorado State, right? Exactly. So like, yeah, yeah I mean, a, a good tight end, uh, Colt Turner, uh, yeah. puts up huge like, numbers. So you know, you can tell Texas a, Tech that that mm-hmm. is an interesting landing spot for Cup for sure. Absolutely, if he can stay and healthy, and hopefully he can. As you mentioned, I hope he can. He's, he's missed you know, a lot of time. It's something yeah. that we said, I think, last year or maybe two years ago when Grant moved to uh, SMU. It was like, if you can stay healthy, this is a guy who could be very productive. So I think Baylor I think Baylor Cup's in a similar situation. Which if he can stay healthy, he'll be productive. He's got the tools to do so. His biggest problem has obviously been health. And then, like you said, Nick – or excuse me, like you said, Scott, once Jalen Williamire kind of took that reign, it was pretty much just a done deal from that situation. Well, he had other injuries too, like Nick said. Yeah, that's so, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to stay on the field. Availability is the best ability, the best right? Ability. That's that's uh, that's what they say. Oh, man, that flashbacks. <laughs> Let, let's take a look at these uh, Big Ten, uh, the, these Big Ten East win totals. Uh, these are from WinBet, and here's what we got uh, on WinBet. We have Ohio State at 10.5, Michigan at 9.5, Michigan State at 8, Penn State at 7.5, Maryland at 6, Indiana at 4.5, and, and Rutgers at 3.5. So... Uh, there are a couple here that leap off the page uh, against the CFB winning edge projections, Nick. So why don't you tell us what you like here? Yeah, it's it's been kind of nice that WinBet has, uh, I guess, done us the favor of releasing like one division uh, yeah. per week, so we can just take a you know just a quick little glance how to how do our earliest sets of, of projections match up? And for the Big Ten East, I feel like they're pretty close. Uh, on all but maybe two of them. Um, you know, with Ohio State, it's basically exactly the same. We, we're about 10 and a half. Uh, Michigan, we're a shade under nine wins, so we'd technically be on the under there. But I think Michigan might be a little bit better than our numbers are, are able to capture right now. It's just a you know, good bit of turnover um, at some spots. Michigan State is a team that our numbers were uh, always really low on last year compared at least to the the national rankings. Um, So this year, you know, I feel like Michigan State is one of those teams. Uh, I think I said a a similar thing with South Carolina. They strike me in a way where, you know, might actually be a better team. 
Um, but the record might be, uh, in Michigan State's case, you know, would actually have to, to regress a little bit. Um, I feel like they overachieved, you know, certainly maxed out their uh, record last year. And, and it was a pretty special season. And like I said, with, uh, you know, with Baylor and, and Dave Aranda, Mel Tucker is one of my favorites. I, I think he's doing just about everything right as far as building that program. And, you know, our numbers just aren't really in love with Michigan State from a, a roster strength standpoint and pretty tough schedule. So uh, eight, even though that looks like a, a pretty big step back for a team that won, what, 11 games last year? Um we're at, at 6.7. So that actually is the biggest difference. Uh, seven and five seems realistic, I think, for Michigan State. I mean, certainly it would be disappointing. I think eight wins is is certainly got to be a goal. Uh, and nine wins, even getting back to 10 wins, is, is possible. But I don't think anybody should be shocked if this Michigan State team just, you know, can't quite replicate what they had last year. Uh, Penn State, we're pretty close. We're right at seven wins. Maryland, that one was was kind of interesting. I was a uh, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised that their their uh, win total was at six, but I thought maybe we would have a ch- a chance to be uh, on the high side for Maryland. But we actually came in just a little bit below six, but you know, very very close. Uh, Indiana, uh, I'm I'm a little surprised that their numbers at just four and a half. But as we talked about before, even though we think they're a team that's going to be considerably better, the schedule is really tough, and just the the roster strength, you know, change in roster strength from this year to last year, they were a big loser. They were on the wrong end of losing a lot of uh, productive players from a team that just didn't have a very good record last year. So I thought we might actually be able to. Uh, uh, you know, be a, a sneaky under sort of for Indiana. Thought that most uh, of these win totals would be kind of expecting them to get you know bowl eligible or or to be right there on the cusp. So four and a half. I I, I was a little sad to see that they were that low because we're right at you know four point seven. Um, and then Rutgers is maybe the one, uh, aside from Michigan State, where we see a little bit of an edge. Their win total is is 3.5, and we have it closer to 4.5, almost a full win. So uh, not quite that full win benchmark that we usually look for and, and have had some, uh, you know, some real success when we're plus or minus a, a full win compared to what the odds makers have. But Rutgers is, is pretty close. We think that that's a – a uh, relatively, uh, you know, talented team in the Big Ten East. And um, they do have some winnable games in the non-conference schedule. And, and then, you know, Indiana, Maryland, those are winnable games uh, as well in the division. So uh, perhaps there might be a little bit of value there for for Rutgers um, to get over that, you know, three and a half. I did think it was kind of interesting that uh, Rutgers is, is – the only team that we are actually over at all, even if it's just, or no, excuse me, Indiana, we're, we're over uh, by 0.22 wins. Uh, but they're the only ones that we're uh, with any significance over. Everybody else comes in a little uh, under. So I think our projections, we see a little bit more of a tighter race uh, or, or, you know, more competitive there in, in the middle, maybe. Um, than what most would expect with the, the Big Ten East being pretty top-heavy in, in years past. Xavier, what do you think of these win totals? Is there anyone that stands out to you? 
Yeah, actually, we, we. I mean, we. I mentioned just like two seconds ago. I, I do think I'm a little bit more bullish on Maryland. I'm not gonna say bullish. I'm not gonna say they're gonna be an eight nine win team. But I think six being, I would honestly be comfortable going with the overall Maryland. I'd uh, be perfectly honest with you. Um, so seven wins is perfect. Is, is the win total I'd be okay with. Yeah, I'm not going to be with the numbers this week, Nick. I can't do it again. Uh, you know, I, I do think that Maryland <laughs> has an opportunity to, to, to be better than six wins. Um, Indiana is another number. Like, I'm going to agree with the numbers on this one. I do think Indiana can be a five-win team this year, so I would pick the over there. Um, forgive me if I forgive me if I may, but I'm a little bullish on Michigan. I'll be honest. I, I'm okay with going over on Michigan this year. Uh, I'm okay with going with ten. What wins. have you become? To be perfectly honest with you, I am. Like, we have I, to I, hate I, Jim Harbaugh together, I Xavier. You know what? What I, is I happening? understand. I understand. <laughs> but he's done it, Scott. He's gotten over that proverbial hump. Now, that doesn't mean, does that mean he's going to win a national championship anytime soon? Absolutely not. I'm completely on that train still. But he's beat, he's beat the final boss. Well, I guess the national championship would be the final boss. But he's beat Ohio State. Yeah. All right. So, like, hey, he's gotten over this, this wall. That you know, we, we never beating thought. Ohio State is like beating a uh, super macho man before you. I was just going to make that same reference. Oh, that, look that at is that. too, yeah. too old for Xavier. I was like, Yeah, no, he hasn't gotten to Mike Tyson yet, but yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, he's he beat super macho man by getting to the, that. Is the that is right in our wheelhouse? That is oh, so yeah. funny, Nick. Xavier I, has yeah, no yeah, idea what awesome. we're talking about. When you say Macho Man, the first thing that comes to my mind is Randy Savage. So, well, yes. Super Macho Man was the guy right before you fight Mike Tyson. Yeah. Of course, Tiger Ali gave us a lot of problems as well. Uh, at least gave me a lot of problems. King Hippo also uh, a tough level than <laughs> Mike Tyson. Uh, and I did, I'm remembering this stuff from when I was seven. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it, that that that's great, that's Nick. Amazing. That's outstanding. So, well, shut I up. Not born. I wasn't born yet. All right, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> 32 years ago. It was a long yes. time ago. We get it. You're young. All right. Uh, it's fine. I'll be, 20, I'll be 26 in a month. So, hey, right. you know. Anything uh, else with these win totals, Xavier? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm going to agree with Nick on this one. Finally, I think I'm going to be cautioned when it comes to Michigan State. Like the last two seasons, I've been like, yeah, give me Michigan State win totals both years. Two years ago, it would have bit me in the butt. Last year, I would have made my money back. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think Michigan State this year, once again, unless they find a diamond in the rough in um, in the transfer portal, kind of like they did last year with Kenneth Walker. I'm not gonna say he was a diamond in the rough, but I don't think anybody coming into the year was like, yeah, Kenneth Walker will probably want to be one of the best three running backs in college football. So I, I think unless they have a, a, a situation like that happen again, eight wins is what I'm comfortable with. Like I said, I'm gonna overreact a little bit with uh, with the quarterback situation there. Doesn't look like he's progressed much at all in the offseason. So I'm going to say that, yeah, eight wins. And to be honest with you, and if I do a little bit of a deep dive, I might be able to convince myself to go under, to be perfectly honest with you. So I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna say I'm cautioned on Michigan State uh, for the first time, I think, in the podcast history, to be honest. Uh, all right. Uh, well, look, last week we talked about the difference in um, the, the uh, defensive roster strength difference, the offensive roster strength differences. Uh, this week we have the defensive. Uh, roster strength differences. So, Nick, you explained how it works a little bit last week, but just for the uninitiated, maybe bring that back in a, a little, you know, synopsis of how we look at this and what has leapt off the page to you because there is a lot here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, roster strength is our sort of main talent number. And, and the idea uh, was to, you know, 
recruiting ratings are certainly not perfect, but they are very, very good, uh, especially when you look at them in, in large numbers. Um, but I wanted to drill down a little bit and, you know, because experience, returning production, things like that do matter. Um, and so wanted to, to, you know, come up with a player rating system that incorporated uh, a talent projection. So those recruiting ratings, but also made some adjustments for experience. Um, you know, guys who are juniors get a little bit higher weighting than guys who are sophomores and true freshmen, uh, but also production. So if a player uh, in particular is is, you know, just underrated coming out of high school, maybe coming off an injury or uh, didn't play at a you know big time high school program, did go to all the camps, whatever the reason, uh, but lands at a place and, and goes on to have a great year, reaches certain statistical benchmarks. I uh, wanted to create a way for that player to boost their rating um, and, and, you know, reach that five-star level if they sort of grow into a uh, first-round NFL draft pick, you know, for example. So uh, we were able to, to come up with a system to rate those players several years ago and then build from there into each individual unit. As you mentioned last week, if, if you hadn't uh, listened to it yet, you know, please go do. We, we went through uh, all the different offensive position groups, and this week – we it, it gets a little trickier on the defensive side of the ball because you know there are some players that we struggle with a little bit. Should they be classified as defensive linemen? Should they be classified as linebackers? Should I just you know bite the bullet and and break out a uh, edge defender group just just as its own thing? Um, you know maybe, but uh, we are able to to look at different position groups who improved the most on the defensive line. Um, you know, as of earlier this morning, when I read these numbers, uh, <laughs> who improved or, or fell off the most at linebacker because maybe they lost, uh, you know, multiple all conference linebackers and, and the, the players to replace them really haven't played very much. That's Oklahoma state. Right. So, uh, you know, we, we do have numbers. We are able to see comparing the end of last year where each team was at roster strength. Um, that included all the production through the course of the year that included uh, some teams were hit hard by injuries. And so this year they get a player back. Um, we'll see actually, interestingly enough, the number one team, most improved team as far as defensive roster strength. A lot of times it's, you know, who added the most through the transfer portal for us right now, number one, Akron, you know, they, they did add some players in the transfer portal, but they also got one of their best players back from uh, missing almost the full season due to injury and all Mac um, linebackers. So, you know, that can, can be part of it as well, but uh, we ran all the numbers compared 2021 to uh, uh, 2022 for defenses as a whole and defensive line linebacker and the secondary individually. Uh, I will be like I did with the offensive numbers, posting these to Patreon as well. So our, uh, all of our Patreon members will be able to see all 131 FBS teams in each category who improved the most and by how much. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, you know, as we talked about last week, it's it's uh, tricky to note sometimes, you know, can this be a real signal that Akron, for example, will be much improved? The, the barrier to 
you know, go from one of the worst teams in college football to competitive in the MAC really isn't that high. And so, you know, I'm, I'm starting to talk myself into, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe, um, uh, oh, his name just, just completely uh, left me. A new head coach there who uh, came in, Joe Moorhead. Yeah, maybe they actually will be a competitive team immediately there. I mean, they were one of the worst teams in college football the last, what, three years. Uh, but they have improved, especially on defense. Some of it's through transfer, some of it's experience, some of it's injury, as I mentioned. But, um, you know, maybe maybe there is some real reason to believe that Akron can, can make a significant jump from, uh, you know, being – uh, competitive in, in just a few games to actually winning, you know, three or four or, or, you know, maybe five games uh, in year one, that might not be a stretch, but some of these teams you wonder, okay, yeah, Kansas is, has improved quite a bit. Can they make that type of jump? Because the, the barrier in the big 12 is a bit higher. Um, it, it's going to be, more difficult for Kansas to jump, even though Lance Leopold is, you know, a head coach who's got a really, really strong track record and they were better in his first year. Uh, it, it's going to be more difficult to uh, improve from the worst power five team in the country to middle of the pack in, in the big 12. So um, maybe we're, you know, we're certainly seeing some good signs, them being the most improved defense uh, as far as our roster strength numbers in the power five and second most in the country is certainly a good sign, but how much will that really indicate that they're ready to, to make a jump? A few teams that, you know, uh, fall a little outside of that toward the, the end of the top 10, Florida State is a top 10 most improved defense. That one catches my eye a little bit because Florida State was an improved team uh, by the end of last season um, and could make you know, some interesting things happen this year. I'm not sure they're ready to compete for an ACC title, but I think the expectation at the very least is, you know, get back to a bowl game and, and maybe have an outside shot at, uh, you know, an eight win season, something along those lines, nine win season, maybe, you know, be a, a fringe top 25 team. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. There are some, some similarities maybe uh, to the type of jump, Maybe not a Baylor type jump, but maybe a maybe a Michigan State type jump to where you know they're 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 uh, an obviously uh, solid team, if that makes sense. They might not win 10, 11 games like Michigan State, but I think they will be an improved team. And speaking of Michigan State, if there's a reason to believe that we're too low on them, perhaps it's they're a top ten team as far as improved roster strength on de- on the defensive side of the football. They brought in some really interesting pass rushers. Uh, they they were able to go after you know talented players. They got a transfer from Florida. You know guys who are, who are highly rated coming out of high school. So you know Chris Bogle didn't play a ton, but is a guy who came in on a you know knocking on the door of a five star rating, high four star type guy. Didn't become a star at Florida, but maybe he will be able to to take that next step at Michigan State. And then you get an experienced guy like Aaron Brule from Mississippi State. Has played a ton. Not really highly rated, but has been productive, has a ton of experience. And then kind of a a really intriguing player from uh, the group of five, Jacoby Winman, had uh, had a big play, I believe, during the spring game. 
but was super productive last year at UNLV and is one of those players trying to take the next step. Amir Speed, a transfer from Georgia, uh, sounds like you know he's getting rave reviews there for uh, the work that that he did this spring. So Michigan State, if I'm trying to you know be my own devil's advocate and and saying perhaps we're just a little too low on them, maybe there's some reason to believe that their defense is as you know taken a pretty big uh, step forward. And part of that is the transfer portal. Part of it is another year of experience. Uh, for some of the players who are are returning, but some, you know, one of the reasons I, I like to look at these and, and break down each individual position for some people, it might be too much detail or, you know, analysis, what is it? Uh, paralysis, paralysis by analysis. By analysis. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I do like to have the ability to look at these numbers. You don't necessarily have to get lost in them, but if you're trying to, to say, okay, what am I missing? The, the Michigan State example might be one to where, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I shouldn't be as readily, you know, willing to jump and bet the under eight because, you know, we do have the biggest edge there in our early projections because maybe this defense actually is, uh, you know, significantly more talented this year than it was last year. So it at least gives another layer of information uh, it's a little tricky because you, you don't necessarily want to talk yourself into circles like I am sometimes prone to doing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I do. I got wanna... a question for you. Sure. Okay. How is Cincinnati not the team that lost the most? Uh, that That is my question here because uh, they so much is going in the draft. Sauce, Brian Cook, uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, Darian Beavers, MyJ Sanders, Sanders, Curtis Brooks. Yeah, yeah like. Um, I was surprised because I, I, when I was scrolling down, I'm like, Cincinnati is going to be number one here. And, and they weren't, I think it was, uh, is it Oklahoma state that lost the most? And they, they lost some good prospects, too. uh, but I was just, uh, Cincinnati's not even in the top five. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, they're, they're one twenty six. I mean, that's, <laughs> they're, they're yeah, definitely thank you for being technically correct among the, they are, they are among the, the biggest drop Georgia, off. obviously Georgia in the top five. I mean, you know, they had to be, they lost, uh, mm-hmm. so, so much star, but at least at Georgia, you know, you're replacing with good stars, uh, a, right. as well. You know, you lose right. a lot of experience, but you're gaining, you know, so four or five star, uh, players, Cincinnati. I was just shocked. They weren't, uh, number one, were you, when you plugged it in, were you surprised also surprised that Cincinnati wasn't dead last year? Um, I wasn't, I wasn't super surprised they weren't dead last but I I did I think expect them to be one of the you know two or three because you're right I mean they they are losing a lot of talent uh, I mean what is it one two three four five six they had six players who had an individual rating of 100 so our maximum uh, you know player rating who are leaving this defense they are not completely. Uh, you know, the cupboard is not completely bare. I think one of the things that's helping them hold on a little bit is uh, the secondary, despite losing at least one first round pick uh, and multiple, you know, NFL draft picks. Uh, they are a relatively experienced group. I mean, you've got two returning starters, Akron Bush and Javon Hicks. Um the other projected starters. I mean, everybody that we currently have listed among our top, uh, you know, five or six 
defensive backs are seniors, so they get that sort of maxed out experience rating. That helps a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they're, they are certainly going to be impacted, but they are not just completely gutted at every position. There's some experience there in the secondary. They brought in Yvonne Pace Jr., a transfer at the linebacker slash, you know, edge rusher. He's one of those that, you know, maybe it's it's uh, not 100% we have the ability to, to put him in the right um, position group, but a uh, highly rated player coming in from uh, Miami of Ohio and kind of excited to see him. Malik Van, pretty highly rated player in the 90s in our player ratings. Uh, you know, Jawan Briggs, transfer, former Power 5 starter also in the mid 90s so you know they've got talented players at every position they just their depth is gone uh and they do lose a lot of talented players but i you know i think that more so the raw numbers that the teams are losing at oklahoma state who is our biggest drop off ball state second biggest coastal carolina and then we've talked before about what nevada lost um, right I mean, those those teams, it's it's kind of above and beyond what we're used to, I think, as far as one year turnover. I mean, we're, you know, Oklahoma State and, and Ball State, and Coastal Carolina might have three, four starters each coming back, maybe uh, in, in the, the defensive unit. Oklahoma State got hit really hard at the linebacker position because they had one of the best units in the country last year and now almost nobody with any real experience. So they saw the biggest drop off there. Um, you know, Cincinnati did, they do have the second biggest drop off on the defensive line. And that's with two players who are 90 plus rated uh, coming back. And then, you know, in the secondary, they're 121st. Um, they're, they're going from, you know, a top 10 type secondary um, and some would argue that perhaps we were even underrating them, their, their secondary last year, uh, to being middle of the pack at best, as far as the way you know our, our numbers calculated. They're 59th right now in our defensive back position strength group. So um, they lost a ton, absolutely. But there were some kind of uh, some teams that lost almost everyone basically. Right, and Cincinnati right. brings back maybe just a little bit more and it is somewhat spread out to where they have, um, you know, multiple starters back in the secondary, multiple 90 plus players in the defensive line. And then one returner at linebacker plus bringing in a really highly, really, you know, highly productive player as a transfer. Uh, so I think that, you know, maybe it's just a, an accounting trick. I don't know. But the fact that they were kind of spread out a little bit um, probably helped Cincinnati. But but yeah, they're definitely you know they're not a top ten defense anymore for sure. Right. I mean they're outside the top forty now in roster strength, so that is significant. And it might even though it's not the biggest uh, you know number difference necessarily, it could potentially have the biggest impact as far as our expectations for a team. Um, just you know, the, the way it shook out. Cincinnati is no longer the uh, surefire number one group of five team. They're, they're going to be expected to be a very good 
uh, group of five team and, and maybe still compete for the AAC, but they're, they're definitely, um, you know, expectations wise and the way our projections see them pretty significant drop off. Xavier, when you look at these numbers, what stands out to you uh, in a gain or uh, loss fashion here? Actually, the first thing that stood out to me was just when you look at like, okay, so one on the list this year is uh, only a a jump of 3.8, right? And when I went back, I was like, okay, I felt like South Carolina's offensive jump was just massive. And when you go back and look at it, it was like South Carolina had a 6.38 jump from last year's offensive strength rating to this year's offensive roster strength rating. And like, that's massive. When you think about now you look at defense and the biggest jump made was 3.8. Like that is wild uh, to me. That was just kind of the first thing that, that jumped off the page for me. The other thing that jumped off the page was even though LSU essentially lost like so much in the portal, they actually got better in offensive uh, or excuse me, defensive roster strength. That was really, that, that told me that LSU not only hit the portal hard, but did a really good job in the portal. And once again, like I said, they've been somewhat of an experiment for me as I've watched them throughout spring and, and, and whatnot, because I wanted to see if a team could use the portal as much as LSU has and still succeed in the following year. Because uh, obviously teams are going to do that more, you know, year after year. Um, Oregon a little bit uh, surprised me a little bit, uh, you know, after losing Kayvon Thibodeau and I believe also Noah Sewell. I'm not, uh, but uh, that Sewell's back. Thank you. That's that's that was the one question mark I had on top of my head because I was like, if they lost both of those guys going up, even if it was as incremental as it was, surprising. Um, and really, to be honest, uh, Kansas actually going up once again, I have to say. Kudos to Kansas. Lance Leopold is this doing, you know, uh, yeoman's work out there. Now we'll see if it translates to the field uh, going into this year, but so far so good um, as far as what he's done, as far as making them at least on paper, a better roster than what, you know, than, than, uh, than last season. So those are some of my early takeaways. Obviously I agreed with you as far as not seeing Cincinnati as number one um, and, you know, Georgia, being in and around that situation, I would love to. I want to see obviously what that does for our team going into this year, especially because when you look at a lot of the talent that we lost, they're going to be first round draft picks. They're going to be highly rated in that regard. So you're going to have a lot of guys who, you know, a lot of names in particular. Uh, another one of the teams that I, that personally, after looking at this, I'm like completely off the wagon for going into this year is Coastal Carolina. Not only were they top 10 in, uh, in offensive roster strength loss they're also top 10 in, in defensive roster strength loss as well uh they were a team that kind of rose to the sun belt rather quickly they kind of shot out of the cannon were all of a sudden at the top of the sun belt for about two years last year they had a down year air quotes when i say that um but you know coming into this year is this finally the year that we see them drop off back to kind of what people expected them to be um possibly when you look at how much uh, talent they've lost in just this year uh, alone. Uh, like I said, being in top 10 in offensive roster strength loss and defensive roster strength loss. The LSU one is, is uh, I'm glad you brought that up. One, the transfer portal work, especially in the secondary is significant, but I think we forget sometimes how uh, banged up that LSU defense was last year. So they were certainly very talented. I mean, they ranked fifth in defensive roster strength uh, at the end of last season, uh, but they played a, a significant amount of the year without Derek Stingley, Ali Gay. Um, you know, it was, I want to say, four or five starters 
by the end of the season, guys who are projected to be not just starters, but like, you know, star type players um, that they didn't have for big chunks of, of last year. Eli Ricks, you know, was out for a while. Um, and so, you know, certainly some of those guys have moved on Ricks to, to Alabama, Stingley to the NFL. So they're not going to get that boost of them coming back, but um, their transfer portal work. Yeah. I mean, they, they were aggressive and it may or may not actually pay off, but they brought in experienced guys who rate really high the way that we calculate it. So um, at least on paper, and, and that's always a little bit of a, uh, you know, there, there's an imperfection to our method. We know that um, uh, this is just on paper and, and, you know, sometimes guys over and underachieve uh, those expectations, but it looks like, you know, best we can tell right now, they've done a pretty good job of filling up some of those holes that they have. Some, some players got a little healthier, especially on the, you know, in the front seven and are coming back but they really were aggressive in addressing that secondary. Um, and right now it looks like they did a really good job of, of you know, filling some, uh, at least answering some of those questions or giving themselves a good opportunity to uh, make it so that, that what could be a major weakness, you know, maybe isn't. All right. Well, look, I think that is going to wrap it up. Uh, for the show this week, well under two hours, Nick. So you were absolutely correct. Uh oh, Xavier, yeah, you got some extra. Yeah, yeah, no, questions. Uh, yeah, you were trying. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely think I thought we was gonna get there for two seconds. I was like, uh, when we started off with like twenty-five minutes talking about uh, the first about Baylor. Topic, yeah, 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 I, was like, I was like, here we go, baby. That's kind of what hours. I thought too. I was like, I was like, this might be a two-hour show. We got twenty-five minutes in, and we're still talking about Baylor. But then you're right. I brought up extra stuff. Too, but yeah, still, still a uh, a fairly short show for this. Go ahead, Xavier. I wanted to give a kudos as we were talking. I got to get a glimpse of, of Utah's spring game. They tackled the quarterback. I actually right. really yeah, enjoyed that. that. Yeah. They play. They, they, they are like, hey, they, they there was no. I was like, I watched the quarterback get hit on the first play. I was like, uh, that kid's gonna get fined or his scholarship <laughs> is gone. And then like they they were hitting on the rest of the game in the rain. Like it was a torrential downpour. Like they were smacking each other around. I was like. I like that. That uh, hits don't back. count in the rain. Everybody knows that. It, uh, uh, yeah, okay. Doesn't yeah, hurt right. as much, right? I mean, come on. So, I uh, can't get but a no, I was in like, the rain. I was like, kudos so. to Utah for for not putting the guy in a special jersey and and letting them get roughed up. And we know how much Utah does running. You know, has you know called QB run plays. And by all means, he their backups were getting absolutely lit up by that defense. Uh, Taking Kevin Ryan, not so much, but yeah. To, Taking a page out of the John Harbaugh, uh, you know, preseason handbook there. Uh, of course, we know all the Baltimore Ravens ended up on the IR uh, last season, and they said they are changing that. Changing, uh, yes. This season. But, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, great job, yeah, right. Utah. Hit your quarterback. So go Right ahead. now, it's it's a sign of how tough Utah is. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but had, yeah. you know, something uh, well, unfortunate They, they haven't even gotten any uh, $1,000 bets on them. They haven't even gotten any thousand dollar bets on them to, to win it all yet. So what's happening? You know, uh, our, our in-state rival Utah state is getting bets and we aren't, this is crazy. We, we got to step it up here, but uh, that will wrap it up 
for the show this week. We will be back next week. And if you guys want, uh, Nick is going to join me on uh, in this league during the draft. I run uh, a, a draft live stream for uh, the first two days behind the wall on Patreon. And then Saturday, uh, I do it just on YouTube free to everyone. So if you guys would want to check that, you can go to YouTube.com slash in this league and check that out. And that will wrap it up. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter. For myself, it's at Bogman Sports. For Nick, it's at CFB Winning Edge. And for Xavier, at Xavier underscore Tristar, I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.